A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Okay, everyone, just calm down. Everything is going to be just fine. Producer Mark Horgan rang me in a panic the other day, pleaded with me to come in and save the day for all you second captain's listeners. I was like, Mark, what's up? What's the problem? He said, McDevitt's away on honeymoon. Murph's a bit under the weather. Ken has recently given up the fags and is becoming, frankly, unbearable to be around, <laughs> let alone work with. His words, not mine. So welcome to all of you to this podcast, this extra special second captain's podcast with me, Richie Sadler, in the hot seat. I'm joined in studio by Murph and Ken. How are you doing, lads? Hey, Richie. How's it Good going? Or should I, should I refer to you as sir? I mean, I, McDevitt likes an, an, an informal studio, but he, he does let us know who's boss. I, I think I think boss. I'd be comfortable with okay, boss. Okay, boss. Yeah, okay, boss. Yeah, no problem. That's okay, Sounds Ken. Sounds good to me. Ken, how are the mood swings? <laughs> I mean, swings would suggest there's up and down. <laughs> just, kind of, just, yeah, I'm just trying we, to... We're, we're waiting for it up. It's just ha- been down. Keep the hatred and anger under control is really what I'm trying to do. So. At what point are you at? How many days or hours are we talking? Since, since Monday. Okay. That's four days, Ken. That's yeah. not bad. Yeah. I want to know. Th- I want you to know. I've told you off air many times, but I want you to know. I have your back on this one. Yeah. Um, is there? Do you think is there anything more that we could be doing as colleagues? Stop talking about it. <laughs> that would be my number one. Asking you stupid questions. Suggestion. Talking to you in any way, in any form. Actually, I I think that the best way that I can help you is to just not talk to you anymore. Yeah. Which but, obviously isn't great for the podcast, but I mean, it, like in a general sense, okay. Yeah. Well, you're not you're not totally on your own actually in this company. A little disclosure of my own. I'm going through the same thing. I'm on day eleven myself. Oh, yeah. That's pretty good. Um, day eleven. Okay, so you, you smoked on New Year's Day. Well, New Year's Eve. I, New Year's I actually. Eve. Okay. I, well, you're, then I, you're on day twelve then. Okay, I, I I gave up actually in early December, off for a month. Thought right, I'm home free, and then. I was hanging out with someone on New Year's Eve and their intention was to give up New Year's Day so they were going to have their last few smokes. So I said, right. you know what? I think I'll have my last few smokes again. Yeah. And okay. I gave up. I found actually day two and day three is the worst for me. I I'm, I'm, I realised very quickly that I despise everyone in my personal life. <laughs> I think Ken's still in that. <laughs> still yeah. in that space, but that's fine. Uh, have you taken to uh, eating junk food to... Re- uh, to replace the the cigarette cravings, I I I don't think I have. Okay, I think I've just decided, just to make the decision not to smoke. Okay, and kept it that simple. So no patches, none of this vaping crap, no 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 hypnosis, none of that. Just right. like a switch, just switch it off. Mm. See, I uh, I thought that maybe Ken might wallow in that, so I offered. I, but I mean, I, whatever support, you know. So maybe if you want to eat a few biscuits for a couple of weeks, that's fine. You know, whatever it takes to transition into the next phase where you're a happy non-smoker. Yeah. Offered him a couple of biscuits there, uh, I think on Tuesday. Yeah. And he said, why the... <coughs> why the F are you offering me that shit? I was like, I'm just... I mean, it wasn't even anything to do with his non-smoking. I was just, do you want... So I, I kind of thought that I was helping the the smoke, the the... the stopping smoking just by giving him something to be annoyed about yeah, and he maybe him feeling in the right yeah, yeah we are also joined in studio by young Bobby Sadler 
she's here with us too, casting a very close eye over proceedings. She's actually gone through a very difficult period of her very young life. Ah, rich. Um, as you know, I was looking after Bailey, the dog, for yep. about the last seven months. Bailey left us on Saturday, the upshot of which is that since Saturday, Bobby, for the first time in her life, has been the only dog in the house that she's staying. Right. And she's like a lost little soul. She's just wandering around. Wandering around as if someone's removed a leg from her. She doesn't know what to be doing. And we, we've this routine. It's a fairly recent, decent understanding. Overnight, she will only bark if she needs the jacks. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what time of night, 2 a.m., 4 a.m., if I hear her bark, I know she needs to go, so I go down and let her out. And it's fine. Within five minutes, I'm asleep again. Everyone wins. Okay. This week, three, four, five times a night, I'll hear the bark. And this is a ridiculous scene. We get down, I get downstairs, open the door, she goes out. She just looks around, sniffs, comes back in. No action. And I'm kind of looking at her going, Bobby, what's the crack here? Yeah. Like, why, why am I out of bed? And she's looking around and she goes, you know, you know why we're out here? Where's Bailey? And, oh. I'm, kind of, and I'm kind of going, it's 4 a.m. Like, can we, can we have this chat tomorrow? This is, like, yeah, this yeah. is, this isn't work for me at all. And she's like, well, this is, this is an ongoing thing and I'm hoping it's a phase and I'm, I'm hoping it will pass. But at the moment, she is a, I hope, thought I'd never say this. She's a difficult housemate. Mm. How long do dogs' memories last? Mm, there's a question. Yeah. I mean, on. it's not like there's no sayings about a dog never forgets. No. You know, an elephant no. or whatever. But, you know, I don't know. Hopefully, the. Well, Bobby needs a new enough. trick. You know, she's not an old dog. Or. She's or. You, well, she, actually, you need to trick her into thinking that it's fine. There, there never was another dog. The most You've imagined li- that dog. Or the most likely next step in, in, in solving this of little pongee. Go out and get a load of new dogs. <laughs> Richie, you know... I mean, you, you've read the, why you've is re- the answer always more, more dogs? dogs? That's exactly it. I mean, whatever <laughs> the question Richie is asking himself, the answer is buy a dog. A do- yeah, yeah, get dog. You were out in my house at Christmas for the annual. You see the little log cabin, there's space there. There is certainly space, Richie, but it... Well, listen, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life, you know? Uh, Bobby's a tremendous dog uh, I took her for a walk there uh, see this is great boss gets gets me to walk his dog that's yeah. basically what happens he I also in. I also sent you for a coffee across the road that's grand I hope you I hope it was nice boss <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I was walking I was walking uh, Bobby I was basically very anxious to pick up on anything that I could slag Bobby about uh, in preemptive retaliation of you calling my dog thick as you've done, and you, Ken, by the way. A window licker, times. I think. Uh, yeah, and I, to be honest, that, we don't like that. That's not right. No. no but uh, Bob, Bo- Bobby did actually start barking. Uh, she started barking at another dog, uh, and she actually seemed quite quite upset. But actually, she thought it was a dog, but it was actually just a parked motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it turns out I don't think we're dealing with Einstein here either. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, I better go through what we've got coming up on the show. Hopefully a very interesting show. I've got Luke Fitzgerald, former Ireland and Leinster rugby star, is going to pop in for a chat. He retired, of course, last year due to a neck injury at the age of 28. I'm really keen, actually, to talk to him about what that's been like for him and maybe compare notes a little bit. I, of course, went through the same thing when I was 24. Dion Fanning will be joining us as well on the line to speak about Paul Gascoigne's recent and long-standing troubles with alcohol and mental illness. Dion wrote a really good piece on Sports Show this week. Check it out if you haven't already done so. So just to sum up, we're covering the heartbreaking devastation of early retirement from the sport you love. Okay. Alcohol addiction and the carnage that goes along with it and mental ill health. So strap yourselves in, <laughs> folks. This is going to be freaking hilarious. <laughs> but first, let's get to these. I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh, God. That's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned that you, not me. Okay, ain't nobody fucking with my click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country. Click. We have an email to read out. Came into editor at secondcaptains.com from Akiran McCann. Dear Richie, it reads, In about 2010, St. Benidlis College hosted their annual Sports Day Six Aside Astro Tournament. The prize to be awarded on the day was the coveted Richie Sadler Perpetual Trophy. Don't you have to be dead to have a perpetual trophy named after you? Well, evidently not. I forgot this is even a thing. Well, I won't bore you with the details, but to cut a long story short, a team I was a member of ended up prevailing against all the odds. I think Richie may even have been there to present the trophy himself. He can't. This guy can't even <laughs> remember whether you were there or not. As the young rebels we it's were, nice. 
We decided to take it out drinking to wherever the session of the night was and in fairly predictable fashion, the trophy ended up getting nicked on us. There were various stories of where it ended up, but I think the final consensus was that it made its way to a Gaffin Palantir and was eventually melted or stripped for parts. <laughs> so my question is twofold. Firstly, any chance you've seen it kicking around the tier? Secondly, you couldn't source a new one for us, could you? P.S. This is the first time we've come clean about losing the trophy, so apologies to Vice Principal Ushin McKeown. But also, <laughs> cheers for never asking for it back. Keep up the good work, lads. That comes from Kieran McCann, the Benildas class of 2012. I have no recollection of any of that. Yeah, so you haven't seen the kicking or the tear. Is that a thing? The Ballantyre. The tear. The tear. Is it a thing? No, it can't be. Can I, I, I've never in my life brought myself to describe Ballantyre as the, the tear. The tear, yeah, I don't like it. And you're not going to buy this guy a new trophy, are you? I mean, I don't think that's... I mean, come on, Kieran. Like, it's listen. He, he took it out in the piss. It's the Richie Sadler it. perpetual trophy, and you're asking Richie Sadler to replace it because you lost it. Come mm. on, people, some respect. I just kind of like that there's a trophy out there with my name on it. Yeah, well, I don't I mean, even remember. Well, it used to be. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's been melted for parts uh, in a South Dublin locale, unknown South Dublin locale. We have some more tweets here, Richie, as well. By the way, um, it, some more scum, I should say. Oh, yeah. Uh, whoa, do whoa, I, I don't like you're kind of seizing control of the studio here tonight. I no, don't I'm just like... trying to help you, boss. Jeez. Okay. God. Okay. Right, okay. Sort of slightly overbearing. It is a little, isn't it? You know. Anyway, German Morley. Uh, just... Tread carefully. Tread carefully. Questions for the boss. Uh, German Morley, describe your dream dog and your dream day with that dog. The dream dog is the one lying silently at my feet at the moment. Okay. My dream day with that dog, I think now would have to be. The two of us out together shopping for a new dog to live with. <laughs> Rescue home, breeder, I don't care. We're oh going out to God. get dogs and we're going to go to bed that night happy. Okay. With our new little family. Okay, that's, that's beautiful. Family of dogs. That's beautiful, Richie. Boss. <laughs> I, when I, I, I was here earlier with Richie um, and at some point he had to go out. to go. He, he had to sort of nip out to go down the stairs and Bobby had been lying on the floor just kind of sleeping noticed that he was getting up and leaving the room and suddenly got up and went over quite urgently to the door and then stood by because it, it was closed over, couldn't, you know, mm. and was kind of like, and then Richie came back and Bobby was happy again, you know. What I wondered was, how long would it take for me to adopt Bobby and for her to transfer over to me, transfer her allegiance to me? A couple of replies to that. Um, <laughs> the, the prospect of Bobby in your care. Yeah. That's, that's a scary part. Sh- I shudder at the thought of something like that. Are we saying three or four days where I was where I was feeding ham? Well, I suppose what... <laughs> and then, then she would have transferred over. Like, what level of affection it's the and Ken care? seduction technique. Just so that, just so that, just so that if, <laughs> if, if, if I walked out of the room, she would, she would become anxious. She, whereas if you walked out, then she wouldn't mind anymore. I, I, I can't even contemplate such a scenario. It's yeah. absurd. That okay. there would any any kind of bond between Bobby and you. Yeah, I'm dogs are very dogs, dogs are very sensitive. You know, they they appreciate empathy. I think, in in fairness, Bobby's a bit of a big dope. Should give anyone a bit of affection. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to say otherwise, but uh, okay. And one more here from uh, Tyg Williams. Was scoring in the under eighteen European Championships third place playoff truly your greatest sporting moment? Ah, oh, Tyke, everyone always brings this up. Yeah. Um, was it my greatest moment? To give this answer... You, you answered... Well, you, you spoke very well about this before in that, yes, scoring for my country in a very important game was actually a very nice moment and stop ruining this special uh, goal for me, please, everyone. At, at that time, I don't think I had any experiences which came close to it. I was 18. It was my first start for my country. It was the first goal for my country. It put us 1-0 up against Spain. And I remember at the time thinking, I've cracked life. This is brilliant. It doesn't get any better than this. And 20 years later, I'm being mocked <laughs> furiously about it, which yeah, is great. Like, Everyone wins. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't like it, Tiger, And I don't, I don't like the tone of your question. Uh, maybe we might come back to some more uh tweets later on the show but for the for the moment that's it uh, Richie okay lads I'm delighted to say now I'm joined in studio by Luke Fitzgerald there is loads I want to speak to you about but I want to start with the piece you wrote in the Life magazine there before Christmas one line jumped out at me I don't know if you remember writing this recently I bought a box of Cocoa Pops you wrote I didn't have them for 10 years so that was me cutting loose 
please tell me that a box of Cocoa Pops <laughs> doesn't constitute uh, cutting loose in your life these days. No, I don't know. That might have been uh, an interview I did for uh, some nutrition-related product, I have a feeling. So, um, no, I've cut loose in a few different ways to, uh, to answer you directly. Um, Cocoa Pops is definitely not the uh, the height of it, but it was enjoyable. It was one of the little perks, definitely, of uh, of stopping playing. How has the adjustment been from full time training to whatever level you can do now? Yeah, it's tough. Um, you know, I suppose you're in an environment where uh, you're kind of pushing each other. Like every single lift is recorded by you know a mm. coach who's mm. assessing you know the quality of the movement, how fast it's you know going or whatever it may be that they're assessing. Um, and, and that's been a big change, um, and uh, I, I've kind of enjoyed it to be honest. I'm not sure, like, like I, I always, like I love the gym, always did, um, but I've actually, I've got a friend from school who kind of wanted to learn. Um, like, he, you know, he touched on a bit of gym work, but we go together about three or four, well, probably four or five times a week, really, um, and uh, it's actually great fun. Like, we do pretty simple sessions, but uh, I kind of enjoy kind of watching him progress and, and enjoy just keeping fit myself. So. Um, that's kind of helped bridge the gap a little. How much can you do? How inhibited are you in any way? I'm a little, like, I don't go very heavy. I have to be very careful with my okay. neck, you know. Mm. Um, there are a couple of, you know, I suppose I don't, I also don't need to chase anything like that. I'm just doing it just to kind of stay fit. There is a part of me where, you know, because of the damage that I that I received in that, uh, in that last collision I took in um, the Pro 12 final against Connacht that I ended up finishing my career off, um, some of the damage that I have from that um, means that you know the muscles kind of die in, in the left arm if I don't keep them active. So I have to kind of marry the balance between you know my competitive in- instinct in the gym where you want to lift a little bit more like most guys do, um, and I suppose managing my body and keeping myself pain free, which is like you know mm. pretty important now that I don't need to to be chasing every gain. I'm not bumping into people all, all the time. That obviously wasn't the only damage to your body during your career, and I know you've said in the past there were loads of times, or there were some times previously in your career where you wondered whether you would overcome the injuries you had, whether you thought maybe I'm going to be finished here. So now that you have done that, like what was the expectation of life after rugby? How does that compare to the reality? Uh, you know, I I didn't have it. Really caught me unaware, right. um, and I suppose. There was probably a brief period afterwards where I didn't really, you know, I, I, I didn't really accept it. You know, I think I, ha- I had to go to the doctor kind of a week or so after. That was when the appointment was. And um, he's a guy I trust. He's a guy I've gone to before. Uh, I've had surgery on my neck before with him. And um, he's, a, you know, he's a guy whose judgment I trust. He sent me back, you know, out in the pitch, said it was perfect, perfectly fine for mm. me to go out in the pitch with the last shoulder or sorry, neck injury I got. Um, and when he said this time, look, it's just too dangerous. Um, you know, as a result of that collision, now I just I'm not I'm not comfortable sending you back out there. I don't think it's safe. Uh, and once he said that, it was it was easier for me to accept. Um, in terms of life after rugby, um, once I kind of I suppose you know one of the hard parts is actually accepting that it's over and that it's done. Uh, and once he's done that, I suppose that did help the transition. I suppose there was some frustrations when I finished with, um, I suppose the pace of life to a certain extent. Even though your days are kind of you know short, um, and you know to a certain extent you know you're you're not that busy. Um, I think the pace of kind of the business world um, and different things, you know, different other different areas that I've kind of ventured into, that was a, that was a frustration. You know, I, mm. I kind of think like, um, you know, trying to get things done or trying to you know get things decided upon um, was slower than I expected and anticipated. I mean, I kind of think in sport, and you have some experience of this that when you're playing well. The contract's just cut out. They want to get it done. It's all wrapped up in in a, in a day or two. Doesn't really work like mm-hmm. that from, from my experience. Anyway, my brief foray so far into the business world and into say you know the the world of maybe journalism as well. Mm-hmm. So um, they were things I had to get my head around. And obviously, the slower pace of days is tricky as well. What, what was that moment like? You kind of just breezed past it there. Said you know the doctor said what he said, and mm-hmm. I trusted him, so I accepted it. Like. Again, I, I went through this. You, you have this, you know, this job or this life or this lifestyle where you're doing something that you love beyond description. I've never managed to come up with a phrase to, to encapsulate how much I love doing what I did. And then for it to be taken in the w- away in the way that it was, you, you, you went through the same. Like, what was that moment like for you? I'm not buying the whole thing where you just said, you know, I accepted it because I trusted him. Emotionally, like, what was that like? Yeah, look, I had loads of people close to me that, 
kind of asked me the same question repeatedly. He said, like, when are you going to, you know, like, when are you going to be upset about this? Um, really? Yeah, yeah. And look, I, I don't know. I, I just, I suppose, um, I've, I've had a lot of instances where I've been pretty close. And, I've, you know, mm. I've had periods during those injuries before maybe I got a surgery where I had a decision to make. Or, um, for example, with, with a, I had a groin injury for about nine months. I just couldn't figure it out. Um, and after about, you know, eight months, I've tried everything. I've had surgery, all this kind of stuff. You know, I've said, oh, I can't keep doing this. You know, banging my head against the wall here. It seems like I'm going nowhere. Um, I've had lots of times where I've said, I'm pretty close to calling this a day. Uh, like, is it worth taking the risk? Um, I don't know if I can go in every day, for example, with the groin injury and, and just get see feel like I'm getting no results. Like, get a result one day and then go back two steps the next day. Next day. Um, and I suppose as a result of all those things, um, maybe it was easier for me to accept. I mean, I, you know, everyone always asks me, I said, like, how you feeling? How you doing? And loads mm. of people I haven't seen. You know, you know, how you find it hard not going. I said, no, I'm, I'm not really. I'm, I'm kind of happy with things at the moment. I'm kind of busy enough. I'm enjoying the certain parts where I'm not that busy. I'm really enjoying playing a bit of golf. I had a bit of work to do on that area um, after my Rory McIlroy ex- escapades. Um, so I'm enjoying uh, getting back to to, to that. And that's feel the kind of competitive hole. And I've been busy enough where, you know, I haven't got a load of free time where I'm just thinking about it. But to answer, to, sorry, to answer the, the question, mm-hmm. just ask myself there, and is what other people are asking me. Um, I think you have to kind of find the balance, and I think I did that quite well between you know overthinking, underthinking, and thinking the right amount about it. And I kind of feel like I was in that area where I thought about it enough. I thought about you know I'd had a great career, um, the risks weren't worth going on. Uh, do I feel like I'm capable of being successful in other areas? Yes, I do. So uh, that's kind of that was the thinking I had done on it. Um, sounds pragmatic there were parts of me that were disappointed but um, it just became too dangerous and like I'm excited about the next chapter as well and, mm. and that's probably why it, it was easy for me to accept along with the fact that I'd had a lot of injuries before and that I was close to retiring with anyway It sounds like you're talking as if there was maybe a little bit of almost a sense of relief that, that, that all this stuff you were putting your body through and I, and I know from my own experience psychologically it's difficult to keep going it's get difficult to put in the amount of work you need to overcome a serious injury when you're noticing no improvements and then you, you kind of finish and, and you got to that acceptance place quite easy I mean you're six months out I was nowhere near acceptance at six months um, yeah jeez oh, um a really good question. Uh, I hope I don't start overthinking as a result of this. Um, if, you, if you're not leaving here in floods of tears, <laughs> I, I, don't, um, I won't felt as if I've done my job. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think probably the, the real thing that we maybe brushed over is the fact that I've had kind of two or three very serious injuries at different points that brought me very close to that point anyway. Um, you know, a lot of people, I, I'm, I'm actually not, and this is really bad. I, I just, the lads and I just came from the office, so I haven't done my research on actually on your injury and, and how things finished for you. I know this isn't an interview for about you at the moment, but um, you know, I, 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 was yours a, a bit more sudden than mine? Or was I, it I, kinda... I had a hip injury hmm. in April, uh, March of 2002, so 18 months later, after two operations, I finished. Yeah, and and as much as I. Slightly different from yours, mate. I was in complete denial for that length of time. I mm. wouldn't even allow myself to have a conversation about it because I thought if I talk about it, I have to maybe start accepting that it's a possibility. If it's a possibility, do I actually have to make the decision and do it? And if I do it, my life is over. That, <laughs> like that, that sounds yeah, bleak, but that yeah, was where yeah. my mind is at. Oh, well, look, I, I can understand that because I've probably come to those points a few, at a few different stages. Um, I, you know, I had a, um, uh, I blew out my knee, I think, in 2009, um, and and the. Uh, the top knee guy in the country had never seen one bar maybe car crashes so mm. those people don't really have to go back playing mm. you know on the wing or wherever it may be in professional rugby which is a bit different to I suppose normal uh, lifestyle mm. and requirements but um, I suppose I had to come to that place a few times and maybe that's why I feel like I was pretty well equipped um, to to deal with things afterwards now maybe I, I haven't talked about it enough you know I, look I'm, I suppose I always think half the battle is being prepared for different pitfalls at this point I feel like uh, like I was excited to get on with the next point I feel like I'm you know 29 years old now I was 28 when I finished in in May and I really think that was you know 
to a certain extent there were certain advantages with finishing at that point I'd achieved an awful lot I'd made a load of great friends out of it I've done all that part of it obviously I, there's, I, you know, there, was, there was a frustration that I had to come to terms with and I probably had to come to terms with that probably a bit earlier because of the effects the different injuries have had on me that I maybe didn't reach the, propen- the potential that I felt like I had I didn't get to the place where I really felt like you know if I hadn't had all these massive injuries everyone has injuries but I suppose the, the, the extent of my ones definitely inhibited me I feel like you know, in terms of getting to the place that I wanted to get to, uh, which is to be the best player in the world. You know, that was where that was the the goal when I came out of school. Um, I always went back feeling like I could do that, but you know, in, in retrospect, or you know, with some of the injuries and how things had to change for me, um, physically afterwards, um, the toll those things took. I was probably never going to reach that, and, and that was a frustration I had at the time. It's a frustration I have now looking back on it. But aside from that, I do think coming into a workplace, um, you know. I'm single. Uh, I have no kids, so I don't have those kind of, you know. I, I like I look at people who are coming out of rugby at 34, 35, who have kids, maybe don't have any kind of education, have no experience in a workplace, and I think, God, that must be really daunting. And I know from talking to a couple of them that they've had they have sleepless nights when they're making the transition. Mm. Um, and everyone will talk about missing out in the banter, but I look, I have a great group of friends around. I don't really feel like I'm missing out in too much of that. Plus, I still have the relations there, so maybe I feel like. You know, while it was tough, and I'm disappointed that you know, with, with some things, I thought I had a great career, and I feel like I'm in a. It's a nice time to go out and try and, I suppose, attack that workplace. You know, and, and make the most of myself in that respect. You mentioned the friends there that you've made. I've spoken to a few, quite a few footballers actually, who have, who've gone through this, and, and they've all said the similar thing, and I experienced it myself. Socially, it's sometimes a little bit awkward to know how to be around your former teammates. That. You're not part of the squad, but you know you've had all these shared experiences. But you're not one of them. Like, how have you found all that? Has it been a seamless? Is is it the same as it always been? Uh, well, I kind of I, I went into um, I suppose I, I decided I, I I had a few approaches to do some media work from from various different um, kind of uh, I suppose channels or you know different kind of publications, whatever it is, and. Um, I decided that I was going to do that. I thought financially, you know, it made sense for me at, at the period I'm in where I'm, I'm still fin- finishing my final year of a degree and I'm, and I'm not able to go straight into a workplace. So, you know, I decided that that was a good thing for me to do and something I felt I had to do just to keep them, as the as Sean Crona would say, keeps the wolf from the electric gates. Um, but, uh, you know, look, it was... Um, it was something that I wanted to do. Uh, I kind of I then decided I wanted to do kind of a review program. I didn't. I felt like there was a space in 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 that kind of area in rugby, especially in Ireland. Uh, and I look, I'm doing a show with the Independent at the moment, and I'm really enjoying that. Like, there's loads of growth, and I'd love to get some footage. I think that's the the next kind of um, stepping stone for us there. Um, but I kind of felt because I was doing that that I had to distance myself, and I kind of felt that that maybe was a bit of an advantage as well. Uh, you know, I didn't purposely, you know, completely. You know, step away from it. I met a, f- a few people here and there, but I didn't keep going back to that place because I didn't feel like uh, I felt like a bit of space w- was no harm. I wasn't going to lose. You know, it's you know the stipulation was that I wasn't really going to you know mill any of my friends yeah. on it. That wasn't I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in pointing out some of the technical stuff that goes on in the game, and that was what interested me. And if they were interested in that, then let you know let's go do this. But um, to 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 come back to your point. You know, it probably helped in that I was able to then transition completely into a normal environment where you know you're hanging around with work friends or you're hanging around with friends from school, the people um, I suppose which I always hung around with anyway, um, and that probably helped the transition as well. But I, I've read once you were talking about I think a, a, a nice uh, a poker night you had, whether it was your place or one of the other players, mm-hmm. and there was a few years there, whether it was a regular thing and that I don't know. So you're mm-hmm. sitting here now. Do you think an occasion like that is beyond you? That that's now something that you couldn't do because partly because of the job maybe because you're no longer a player I can't afford to, to be playing poker with those guys anymore <laughs> I have to go down in lifestyle quite a bit um, but um, no I'm only messing no of course sure. we've actually I've invited you know a few of them here and there you know that, that relationship is there you know we had a few kind of was a few different occasions in the summer like weddings and different mm. things like that that we all met you know everyone's at them and they're all really like I mean I'm really not just saying it but it's a really really close knit group of guys Um I think they're really easy to mix with. I'm sure anyone who meets them out and about will say the same kind of thing. You know, the rugby guys are, and like most sports guys, like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I met Seamus Coleman there a while ago. Like, all the footy guys, I'm sure, like, you know yourself, when you actually meet the guys um, in a relaxed setting, they're normal people, really nice fellas. So I get on great with them. I have loads of friends for life there. Um, and I hope they kind of feel like I'm, even if I've maybe distanced myself slightly for a period now, that 
that's you know that that the relationship is still the same. You've worked because you've known him quite a long time with Anna McNulty, mm. and you mentioned a moment ago you were quite specific career goals set from a very young age are you at a place now you've, you've this whole new set of goals um, I actually haven't really gotten down to that yet and it's probably a mistake yeah is that um, something you even think of doing or do you just go you oh, know yeah, what I'm going to yeah. just because you sound like quite a focused driven person that having a goal or something to aim towards is essential I've obviously done a good job of hoodwinking you here. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, creating that persona that I want everyone to uh, to think. Uh, well, actually, do you know what? On that, I, I watched your, your appearance on the Ray Darcy TV show. Yeah. And I remember I did the same. Eamon Dunphy actually had a, TV, a chat show on TV three years ago, and I showed up. And I... I, I you, the phrases you just used, I went out and I did my best to hoodwink everyone mm. into thinking that I'm dealing with this well. Partly because I'd just gotten a job with a football agency, so I thought in one respect I'm representing the company and on another side I'm kind of promoting myself here to yeah. potential employers and I have to give the impression that I'm transitioning quite well and that I'm dealing with this. I know we're kind of laughing about that here, but like, do you feel that that's, like even coming in here now today, do you think I need to put the best foot forward here? If I'm having a ropey time, if I'm struggling, I'm not going to talk about it. Um, no, I, I, I don't feel that way about it. I, look, I, I've never really... Um, look, I, I also don't see really too much of an advantage in crying or whinging about it, even okay. though that's a great interview. Um, I just think uh, it's probably not my personality really either. Uh, the way I was kind of brought up was kind of um, maybe to rely on myself for a lot of things, uh, maybe not to rely on others so much, which brings challenges as mm. well. Um, you know, I, I think I was being pretty honest. I feel like I'm in a good place. Um, you know, that seems to be the feedback from, from other people as well, even though maybe uh, I'm sure a few people feel like maybe I haven't really gone too in-depth about you know, finishing up playing rugby, but I kind of, you know, I think. Who are those people? Do, do people say that to you? Because you said, my friend said it to me in the summer, and uh, we'd had a few drinks, so you know, I assumed it was down to that as well. But maybe it was the real truth coming out. You said, "Oh, you haven't really talked about it." Or, you know, how are you doing? About it? How are you doing about it? And I said, "Well, I feel fine about it until you actually mentioned it." Um, but <laughs> so, so your approach has been. <laughs> I was just afterwards. No, no, I, I, I'm only messing. No, I look, I, I actually, I. At that point, I probably hadn't really done too much thinking about it. Um, I was kind of in limbo. And definitely at that period, you know, I probably... Like, I don't really know what to talk about with it. Maybe that's my personality. Uh, I think, you know, look, it's over. It's kind of done with. I want to get on to the next thing now. Um, it, I suppose it's pretty inevitable. I, I wasn't uh, unaware of it being a short career, uh, which mm. I think, you know, everyone will tell you they know that. But coming to accept that, you know, can take quite a long time for a lot of people. And there's real... Cha- like, there are real challenges when you finish playing sport. Um, there are loads of great things about it that equip you well for life afterwards. But there's loads of things that don't equip you very well. And, and they're basic things, like even, like... You know, uh, I always say to people, like, one of the real challenges is actually going, like, realising, first of all, that being in a normal workplace, for you know, for, for the most part, is is a marathon. It's not necessarily a sprint. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you look at it, you know, comparatively with a sports, you know, a normal day where, you're, you know, you're playing footy or you're playing, you know, rugby, you're probably out of there by, you know, maybe your Monday, Tuesday goes maybe eight to three or four. But every other day is like two or three hours in there, you know, and... That's a big transition. Mm-hmm. And like people are saying, oh, well, oh, poor old professional sportsman, you know, that sounds awful. I can hear the majority saying that. But it is a big transition for people to make. Um, and I suppose so much of your identity is tied up in, you know, in, in the sport that you've chosen to do because it's a real lifestyle choice. I remember Keith Gleason saying that to me when I first came into, into Leinster. He said, you know, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, what it takes to be a professional rugby player, you know, you know, come talk to me, you know, seek me out. And I said, look, I'd love that. You know, can you give me thirty minutes? And he was, he obliged, and he was, it was unbelievable. It was the best piece of advice I ever got about being a professional rugby player was, this is a lifestyle choice. You know, everything you eat, mm-hmm. uh, you, all your nights out with all your friends and family, you know, they're off. You know, most of them are off the cards now. Um, you know, you, you know how much you sleep. Um, you know how much you look after your body. You know, you know, can you go out and play golf? No, you probably can't. All those small things, like they're they're small, but they build up and it becomes a lifestyle. And I think you tie up then your identity in that, um, and and that's the, that's another challenge. There's loads of things with with, with the transition that are difficult. Um, that maybe I I feel like I've dealt with pretty well. I, I believe you. I'm sitting here looking at okay. you because <laughs> I I had read a few things you said and I said I'm not sure if. If I'm kind of buying this, because it's it's like the analogy, if you're in a relationship with someone and you love them more than you've ever loved anyone ever, 
and it breaks up. It doesn't stand to reason then that you can turn around and go, well, do you know what? It was fine. I'm ready to move on. At some point, there's an emotional fallout. There has to be. Or else the thing you've said about the relationship isn't true. Do you think, and just to, I know I shouldn't be asking the go, questions. Go on. Yeah, I know, but um, do you think once you've done it once, uh, I, I, okay, sorry. I'm, go on. Yeah, do you think once you've done that once, uh, that it's easier to get on with the next time? Once you've had... So say, like, let's say, okay, you know, I, I I would believe that you know you don't probably have just one. Like, depending you know, unless you're really lucky, you know. I know loads of people who've been with one person their whole life, but most people do. You, do you have those feelings about a few people? I, I would. I, my own view is yes, um, and I, and I think that you know maybe the first person that that happens to you with, where you you know you might love them and they say you know actually you're not the one for me. You get over the shock of oh my god. You know, like all the, you know that, that I love kind of conversation. No, going. we've gone all, completely <laughs> off off track, but this is interesting. I think anyway. Like I would feel that, and it ties in with the injury kind of thing that I was talking about earlier on. That once you've gone through a few of those things, um, and you realise you're not infallible, you know, then is it easier then to say, well, you know, I, you know, once you've done the thinking about, it, you say, well, look, that was that's the journey that I'm going on. That's the direction my life is taking. I don't accept that I don't have full control of these things, but. To a certain extent, I don't have, you know, control over everything. And now this is the direction I'm going and I'm happy with that. I'm happy to take on that challenge, even though it hurts a lot. But now I've got to get on to the next thing. There's no sense in me beating myself up continuously over this. You know, in this example, we're talking about love. You know, she's she or he, whatever your interests are, Richie, I don't know. But um, she or he has decided that I'm not the one for, for them. And they're going on their journey now. I'm going my way, and I kind of, you know, I, I felt now I've had I had one where I was really upset when I was young. I've had a few that I felt very strongly about since, but I always, it, the 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 learning curve afterwards and the pain afterwards was way shorter each time. So, do you think you can find yourself in a a job or a position in your life where you will get out of doing what you do each day the same as you got from your rugby career? I hope so. I don't know that. Um, I think they might come in a different form depending on what I'm doing. Um, do I think you're going to get the same high maybe that you get from scoring a try in Croke Park in front of whatever, 80,000 people? I don't know that I will get to that place or, you know, against Argentina, things like that, mm. those kind of highs. Yeah, well, obviously, that's a really bad thing to say because we lost the game. But I'm being unbelievably honest, that when I got the try, I was thinking, yes, I know, I should have been in the team. Now, <laughs> take that. Uh, and then when I set up the second one, I was thinking, take that even more. So uh, they were really highs, and everyone's cheering. You're saying, this is, you know, like, they're really high moments in a career. Because that's uh, where a lot of things, former athletes really struggle with the yeah. realization that the experiences I've had, will it, it's impossible to feel them again, to, to, to live them again. Yeah. And, and there's nothing, and kind of this, you know, this phrase, you know, you're chasing highs elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. You, you I, I think that. I suppose, you know, I got really good advice from my, my dad. I'm really close to my dad. I bring it up all the time. I, I sound like a bit of a sad case, but we're, we're like really tight. He'd be like probably my best mate, which is, which is uh, sad. Like obviously there's certain aspects we don't that are off limits for us, but for the, for the most part, he's the, man. So. He's the person I trust. <laughs> <laughs> um, disregard everything you, if, if you're listening about the love. I was never hurt. He'd hate to hear that. Uh, no, but um, you know, he said, look, what you have to get your head around is the pace of life is way different from where, from being a professional athlete, especially in, in now the working capacity that you're in, you know, I suppose. And it's the, the I, I completely robbed his analogy that it was, you know, it's a marathon now, it's mm -hmm. not a sprint. You've got, you got to think of this as a 30 or 40 year career. You know, it's not happening. You know, if you don't, if you miss your window, which is probably a year and a half, two years in, in professional sports, it's over. That's not the case here. You obviously want to get off to a good start, but you've got loads of time here and you've got to be prepared to work harder, kind of, I suppose, over a longer period of time. Or probably not harder, but at a slow, it's probably a slower pace, but for longer periods. And maybe that's why, um, I, you know, maybe, maybe that's why I feel the way I do about it. I don't know. Um, but I, I'm not really seeking out those highs again. I get like little ones here and there. I love... Um, the, the golf is uh, I'm absolutely mm. obsessed with it at the moment I can't get me out of the place I should be studying way more but uh, golf has filled a hole and it's a bad one because I get pretty obsessive about things I have OCD so um, the club pro is uh, like I'm sure he's driven absolutely <laughs> mental in there like I'm getting lessons and I'm like okay hang on a second there I need to write that down on the phone or can you video or whatever you know what I mean it's they're never rid of me in the place, but that's filled a nice hole um, but I, I suppose I'm not really seeking out the same kind of um, 
I suppose the elation you get with those kind of moments. I don't like. I'm sure. I hope there's other parts of my life that I'll get that in, but I just don't think they'll be probably be as intense or as you know probably in front of eight thousand people. I don't think that'll happen. It's you only 5,000 AIB. I wonder what I get. Yeah. <laughs> can imagine in the atrium there, everyone cheering me in if I get a big deal or something. <laughs> Don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> you, you, you do seem to have adjusted remarkably well in, in a relatively short period of time. And and if it's an act, it's a very convincing polish one. But I, I kind of believe what you're saying and I'm kind of thinking it's remarkable that you're at this point so soon because I've spoken to many footballers. I did a, a thesis in this area a while ago, so I interviewed quite a few Wow, they I don't. Were, I feel scared now. They were. Out, I didn't realize it's yeah, coming in I, here, man. I, 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 did a, <laughs> I did a master's in psychotherapy a few years oh, ago, wow. and and I, and I came into contact with quite a few footballers who did not have the experiences you're having, and they really struggled, and they really got bogged down with accepting it. With kind of the, the identity thing was a big thing, and I struggled with that. I didn't even know that was a thing yeah. at all. But um, listen, thanks a million for coming in. I think I'm going to have to accept. I'm not going to get you to cry. <laughs> I'll have to accept defeat on that. And I wish you well in everything you do. Thanks Cheers, very Luke. much, Richie. Appreciate you having me in. Thanks, lads. He agrees with plenty. Just it's always who's saying it. It's never what's actually said. 90% of anything is who's saying this and 10% is what are they actually saying. So... The 90% in Giles' case is, oh, it's about to work. John is the best football brain in the world. He just thinks I'm an annoying twat. I'd never let you do. But if you're talking about the, the, the press, which you're talking about, have this opinion of Guardiola, it doesn't necessarily mean that football people have. Yeah, I, I think I do like Ken Early's work. He writes fluently and thinks uh, cogently, but uh, I think he's wrong. The press come and go, as we know. You mentioned Ken Early. Well, yeah. you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Early says about football. He just thinks I'm an annoying twat. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> You know, what can you, what can you do? Can not please everyone? I got a bone to pick. I do like Ken Early's work. I do like Ken Early's work. I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Early says about football. I'm mad, but I ain't stressed. He writes fluently and thinks uh, cogently. You mentioned Ken Early, but I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Early says about football. He just thinks I'm an annoying twat. Annoying twat? Can you not be in a bit hard on yourself there? Um, well, I mean, I mean, I, it, yes, it didn't seem so. It didn't seem you. so at the time, but now I've just listened to it about a dozen times in a row. I kind of, <laughs> I feel I'm, I'm actually getting angry at myself now. Get comforted, stupid. Yeah. Why are you getting angry? Well, because I, I, I suppose when I said it at the time, it was just one time. Now I've heard it like. Uh, Why are you getting angry, Richie? I think we've already covered this at the start of the show. <laughs> We peaked, he's poking away at him. We could <laughs> yeah. have a hell of a show in our hands. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't you know. two twats. You, sure. You're two more twats. Well, we had to hear it twice in a row there, you know. Yeah. Oh well. That charming, self-effacing talk was <laughs> where surprisingly thin, surprisingly quickly. We, we've got a couple of more tweets here, uh, Richie. Uh, Niels wants to know: Do you have any advice or tips for becoming a football man? Becoming a football man. Oh, slightly. Linked to what we're just talking about, yeah, you got to play the game. First of all, first of all, yeah, you got to play up, the game. Yeah, obviously, well, that's gotta, a given. You've got to know the game. Yeah, well, I mean, you can't know the game without playing the game. Do you that's, think? Well, I think all football men would be in agreement. Okay, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Kevin Power has also tweeted a question for you, Richie Boss. Do you prefer working with Dunphy or Giles or Kenny, and why? Well, sadly, I can't work with John Giles anymore. He's mm-hmm. no longer working with RTE, so that's a swear of that one. Um, he might be on this... Well, actually, probably not now. Sorry. They're all... It's very different experience working with all three of them. Equally enjoyable. I couldn't possibly separate them. Dunphy, Brady, Giles, <coughs> Kenny and Duffer. Can you rank them from one to five? This is me asking, not it. Um, the answer is no, I can't. Okay, how about if I give... <laughs> What I think your ranking is, <laughs> okay. and you can tell me. If, in, in, if you are, are we t- are we talking analysis of the game, warmth, 
<laughs> Analysis of the game. Warped. 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 Well, yeah, warped, yeah. Okay, so one is Duffer, two is Kenny Cunningham, uh, three is Dunphy, four is Giles, and five is Brady. That's just what I think your answer to this question might be. In 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 terms of their warmth? Well, yeah. Okay, well, I'll have to accept it. That's your ranking. Do you agree with my ranking? I'd have to go through it again. I mean, you hit the, you, you threw it at me. A of lot course. of information there. I'd have yes, to go through five, it again. Five names of people that you've worked with a lot, Richie. I understand. You know, I kind of sabotaged you there. I'm Hard jo- luck uh, trying to get Luke to cry there, by the way, uh, Oprah. It's uh, <sighs> real nice. The man is devoid of all emotion. <laughs> he is a robotic. So, like a stool. Mechanical. Yeah, yeah. I look at him and I go, where's the emotion? Where's the feelings? Yeah, yeah. I would hate to be in his shoes. <laughs> Living a life without any emotional <laughs> connection to anything around him. Yeah. Screw that. I think, yeah, I think Lukey's going to be all right. There's also a second captain's football show out today. Ken, tell us about that. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'm going to need it. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawnee man? <laughs> well, we talked about the Mourinho miracle at Manchester United, where kind of uh, by a process of alchemy, he's turned this. He's turned this team around. He's resurrected Manchester United. He's buried his critics. And uh, so we, we touched on that. We talked also about Dimitri Payet, who says he wants to leave West Ham, although we're not really quite sure where he's going to go. So we talked to Philippe Beauclair about, uh, about him. We also talked a little bit about Graham Taylor, who, um, well, his family announced this morning um, the very sad news that he had died of, well, what they, say, what, what they said in their statement this morning was a suspected heart attack. So, yeah, it was very uh, very sad to hear that. You've worked a little with Graeme Ted over the years, haven't you? Yeah, we, uh, we did, I did, did quite a bit of punditry over the radio with him, you know, where he'd be on talking about stuff happening in football. He also came over to Glen Bay to one of our road shows um, and did an interview with us, which was very good and really uh, a lovely guy. I nearly actually signed for him at one point in 2002 I had no knowledge of what actually was said in, in, in private. But the first I heard of it was there was a newspaper headline quoting the Millwall chairman in response to apparently a £7 million bid for myself and Tim Cahill by Graham Taylor, who was then Aston Villa manager. And I think Theo's comment was something like, listen, £7 million is what Richie would cost on his own. And I remember then when I joined up with the Irish senior squad, Steve Staunton comes over to me, who was a villa at the time. We were doing some warm-up exercise before training one morning, and he just comes up beside me and goes, ah, so £7 million pound man, eh? And I, <laughs> I felt, I was so embarrassed. <laughs> I, I, I just thought, God, this is all, because I was like, obviously, the new kid there, no reason to be talking about any, a figure like that at all. And I just kind of I think that's just the chairman's way of just playing. Yeah, hardball. <laughs> Stan is like, you reckon? Yeah, and, 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 and then he says, uh, "Well, actually, the manager's, you know, he's he's asked me like, you know, to have a word with you. What's the crack?" And I said, "Listen, obviously, I'm going to publicly say all the things that you would expect I would say about loving it at Millwall and blah blah blah." But obviously, I'm open to, uh, to yeah. having this conversation. O- obviously, I <laughs> obviously you know, it's always been my dream to. It is normal to be flattered when Aston Villa. Mm. For now, I'm a Millwall footballer. I don't know where these stories come from. Yes. (laughs) And three weeks later, I hurt my hip, so I never got the chance to see, was there anything to it? That's a pity. It is a pity. Villa, you could have been the scapegoat of the the whole end. (laughs) (laughs) Or he could have been a goal-scoring hero to the whole end. Yeah, absolutely. Only now coming to the end of a 15-year stint running the line for Aston Villa. (laughs) They, yeah, they they do have a lot of scapegoats, though, looking back through the history. The Holt End has had more hate figures than heroes <laughs> in uh, recent times. Indeed, it has. Now, Paul Gascoigne is reportedly back in rehab following his latest bout of drinking, which, according to reports in the media, involved him being thrown down a flight of stairs in a hotel after allegedly slapping another guest in the face. Gascoigne was treated in hospital afterwards for, among other things, a head wound. We're joined now by Sports Joe's Dion Fanning, who, as I mentioned at the top of the show, wrote a piece about this earlier in the week. Dion, how are you doing? Hey, Richie, how are you? Great. It's, uh, it's rare enough, actually, to see alcohol addiction covered in the sports media in any great detail. What was it that led you to write about this situation Gascoigne's in in the way you did here? 
Um, well, I think as, as everyone knows, like Paul Gascoigne's situation is, you know, incredibly tragic, and uh, it's become a kind of horror show that people, you know, most people don't really want to know about anymore and understandably like you know there seems to be an intrusive kind of coverage of his kind of descent uh and it is you know incredibly sad um it's also i think kind of interesting because he sort of reflects uh a kind of ongoing lack of understanding i think of the uh of the issues uh, around addiction um you know, even last week, last weekend, when his agent was talking about, uh, you know, and coming, you know, without, and some people have been critical of his agent in general, but coming, you know, from the right place, you think, uh, but talking about how he's different to say, George Best, who just want, who just wanted to drink and was a, was a, a functioning alcoholic, I think he put it, uh, mm. um, and you, when I read that. And you put it into context of lots of other things that are said about Gascoigne over the years, and you know, totally different things. But uh, he seems to kind of represent a failure to kind of grasp the kind of nature of, of this problem. And I think it's kind of strange at the moment when a lot of these problems are more understood that still people be talking about someone like George Best as as a functioning alcoholic, a man who uh, you know died tragically from alcoholism, uh, had a liver transplant. All these things that uh, you know, there was the, there was the there was the the uh, there was the kind of glory years, if you like. There was the uh, hedonistic era, the, the you know, where did it all go wrong, George, in the mm. hotel room at Miss World? But that was that was in the 1970s. He lived till 2005. Like there was a lot of lot of drinking and a lot of misery between then and and you know 2005. And uh, for people to be I, I think that that inability to kind of grasp what what you're dealing with in these situations is is strange and also and also dangerous in a general sense because anything that allows people to think oh well I don't have a drink problem if I'm not uh, you know I'm not at the, at that stage I'm not at Paul Gascoigne's stage all these kind of things which I thought we'd 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 gone beyond uh, I don't think is helpful and I also think you know. It's t- nearly 20 years since Tony Adams wrote wrote his autobiography, which I read again recently, and uh, you know that's an incredibly powerful and uh, precise book about about this subject. And yet, Adams has set up a Adams set up a, a, a rehab on the back of it. He did a lot of he's done a lot of work in that area, and still there seems to be a kind of failure to grasp these areas. That lack of understanding you were talking about there, and I know you mentioned it in relation to the agent's comments, is it a little bit harsh maybe for us to expect Gascoigne's agent to have an understanding of something which is fairly complex, the whole issue of addiction? Yeah, it, 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 it is hard. I'm not asking him to have an understanding of it necessarily. All I'm saying is that I don't think it is an understanding of it. Mm. Uh, and it's worth pointing out perhaps um, where where you know, you maybe should be on these things. And it, it goes, there are other things, you know, you read about it and it's all he's hoping to have. And it's, it's, it, you know, it feeds into an awful lot of stuff because it's like, how can somebody, like, you know, you read about Gascoigne and it says, they say things like he wants to have a, an, a he's hoping for an alcohol-free 2017. And there's all these, there's all these, there's all these factors that, tend to feed into a situ- creating a situation where you think it's actually going to be very difficult for him to do what he needs to do, which is to have less pressure on, less scrutiny on himself, less intense focus on what he's trying to do and uh, find the kind of space where he can kind of daily get on with, with, with kind of getting well and I, I just thought it, it was worth addressing some of those those themes. Well, I'm not being, I'm not mm. saying he must have a better understanding of it. I just think there is a better understanding to have of it. I think one of the points that I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying there that you often hear, and I think even Alex Ferguson has said this that you know they they wonder kind of would things have been that much different for Gascoigne if say he had joined Manchester United instead of Tottenham, as if. As if, like, the choice of employer, or in this case, the personality of your boss, 
could be the, the, the X factor or the thing that would be crucial in, in the successful treatment of addiction. I think that kind of thing I think backs up what you're saying, that if that's the level of understanding people have of this issue, there really is a long way to go. Well, that's it. Like I think, I think Ferguson said about seven or eight years ago that it was his big regret not signing Gascoigne for United, and said, you know, we had a lot of uh, we had a lot of players from the northeast at the club at the time, so he might have found it easier to settle. Uh, now, um, it does. Um, again, it's it's like in a lot of these things when they when they happen, people say things that are said with the best of intentions, but they don't really reflect. Uh, uh, any understanding of it, or could they? Could you know? Could football have done more, or all these yeah. kind of things? When I, I don't, and it, I doesn't mean I don't mean it in a, in any kind of brutal sense. I don't think there's anything really football can do apart from try and be aware. This, and this is why it is maybe important to know that what what you're talking about. Be aware of what people should be doing. So not thinking right if if he's here or if he's there, it's going to make a difference. It's like Get him, you know, like Tony, Tony Adams set up Sporting Chance. People like that who have an understanding of the situation are the people who can who can help Gascoigne. And but ultimately, um, you know, there has, there is that need for him to get it, I suppose. Um, and that's why it's so so tragic his situation because you know the other thing his agent said was, and I think you know I think there'll be a lot of people who understand addiction who would who would who would appreciate this saying he doesn't want want to drink uh, like mm. you know and and the lack of understanding around around addiction sometimes seems to be that people are doing this uh, I think we've come a long way on so many other forms of mental illness that people know that uh, you know how to talk around it, but yet still with with, with with alcoholism, there's a kind of idea that you have to stay, say that. You have to say, oh, he doesn't want to be drinking. Um, rather than, nobody would say about depression, oh, he doesn't want to be suffering from depression. You would take it as as, as self-evident. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I think there's just still that lack of understanding about it. Why do you think it is that um, papers still seem to have this fascination with printing photographs of Gascoigne in you know, various degraded states? Um, uh, I assume because there's some uh, curiosity, morbid curiosity about it. I don't think they do it like, or, or, they, or they think there is. Uh, and I, th- I also think, you know, um, Gascoigne went into that. He, he, he gave himself to that, to that e- entity. To, he gave himself to the media in such a way, at such, a, at such an early stage in his career that he's never been able to disentangle himself from it. And his life has been, you know, that's the world. He kind of, he's kind of, he's sort of stuck in it. Um, and there's a kind of, a com- not a complicity, but there's the two, they're, they're kind of locked into something now that uh, I don't know how, like, either of them get out of They know he's, like, Paul Gascoigne remains his figure of, uh, of fascination, or they believe yeah. he is. And he's always kind of had this. This has accompanied him ever since, you know, Italia 90. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know what, what, if he knows any other life in some ways. Do you think part of it might be? I'm not sure if this is necessarily the reason why these pictures are printed, but that why people want to look at them is the sense that um, they feel better about themselves uh, having seen Gascoigne in the state. That's an alcoholic, which means that I'm not. Well, yeah, that's I did. Uh, yeah, that was something I said in the piece as well. That like, if you can look at that, like, you know, Paul Gascoigne, I think, well, there's a man who, you know, is, yeah, is 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 suffering from addiction. That that's not me. Uh, I'm not sleeping on a, you know, or like I'm not sleeping on a park bench, or I'm not drinking every day, or whatever uh, things people might think about it. That really has nothing to do with it. Um, it allows them, yeah, to not have a. <laughs> not kind of deal with the situ- not to deal with their own situation. So possibly that has is a factor in it as well. And do you think that is a, that is the case for a lot of people walking around at the moment uh, who consider themselves to be to not have any uh, addiction issues? Uh, that maybe if they were, maybe they need to be a bit more honest with themselves. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's um, the only thing. Like in all these areas, I think the only thing that really kind of matters is that you know when you're talking about something, you know what you're talking about. When you're addressing a problem, or if you think you've got a problem, you know what the problem is. Um, 
and if there's a if there's a situation where you uh, where something like this allows you to think well actually that's not me then maybe a, a fuller awareness of the kind of realities of these situations is is important and that's what I mean like you know George Best being kind of held up as somebody who was uh, you know his his life you know was he kind of functioned functioned through through dr- with drink and you know that might have been true for a while but was, I don't think I don't think people would say that when he was you know getting liver transplants and stuff like that okay great stuff Dion thanks a million for joining us cheers lads so he's almost like having a second captain in the team second captain first captain whatever Richie Sadler's here Richie how are you how are you lads how are you lads Richie how are you lads how are you doing this week I'm marvellous look at the joy on my face look how happy I was what the fuck happened <laughs> no really you know what happened when John was young Everyone in the city knew about it, but no one had seen it. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Yeah, very interesting that uh, yourself and Dion both referenced Tony Adams and Paul Merson a couple of times over the course of that interview, Richie, Mm. because uh, we actually had Perry Groves on the radio show of... 2007, 2008, something like that. And uh, we were talking to him about sort of the drinking culture in uh, football at that time. And he was telling us that he didn't actually think that Paul Merson and Tony Adams had a drinking problem at all. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Even though both of them have come out on multiple occasions and talked about their drinking problem, Perry didn't really see it as that much of a... Well, Perry, Perry was kind of suspicious of the sort of therapy culture in general, you know, kind of, um... He, I think he had a sense that people... I mean, I don't know. Remember, this is 10 years ago. He may have changed his mind since then. Um, but I think he had a sense that people sort of talked themselves into holes. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, people kind of start to pathologize situations which, you know, it's just... They'd be better off just kind of, you know, getting through it and not moaning about it and not obsessing over it. And that was, I think, where Perry Groves was coming from at that stage. And as I said, he may have... Uh, he may now have the, the, you know, the scales may have fallen from his eyes. Mm. I don't, I don't know, but that's that seemed to be rather than just you know what I mean. I think that's where he was coming from. Yeah, and I think that uh, to be fair, it's interesting to mention that as much from the point of view of okay, that's how football may have been in at that time, and even in the time that has left since then. I think there is a far greater understanding societally and probably in football as well. Yeah, that's you know. Well, it goes it goes beyond mm. football. It's kind of more of a general social attitude. Like, say, for instance, the idea of toughness as a personal quality, right? Yeah, is toughness a, a, a quality that should be encouraged? You know, is toughness not a way of saying ignore your problems and don't complain about them? You know what I mean? Is 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 it in is it in that sense a kind of a negative thing, like a, a sort of a, a form of a, a kind of an oppression, mm. or is it actually? A kind of a positive attitude to have in a world where things are going to go wrong for you. If Luke you know, Fitzgerald was here now, mm. he'd say it's absolutely a positive thing. Yeah, it seems to be his approach. Yeah, because I mean, things are going to go wrong. You, you can't. There's nothing you can do about that. And you know, the idea of toughness is like, oh, no, you know, I'll, I'll pick myself up. I'll go again. Who knows what could be wrong in your life? There could be all kinds of things. You know, mm. some of them that could be very easily. You could very easily get a lot of help. So yeah, sometimes you could. Sometimes you can change things. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's but it's it's difficult to know because if you're saying to people to sort of tough it out, then you're you're also you're implicitly saying don't Talk don't complain, yeah. don't you know it'll you so but but on the other hand, that might be a helpful attitude in actually helping people. It's 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 tough territory. It is. That's pretty much all we have time for. I'll be back in the hot seat again next week. Remember, you can contact <laughs> us. Proper order, Richie. Well done today, by the way. <laughs> um, what was it like actually for you to be under my charge? Everything you say and do. Well, to get clearance from me. I, I I really enjoyed it, Richie. You know, we were talking on the show not too long ago about how some people just enjoy being told exa- a total abdication of responsibility. You know, that if you know who's boss, you also know you have no responsibility whatsoever. And it just it just comes down to making you happy. So if you're back next week, coffee's a plenty. I'll walk your dog. I'll sit here and nod, tell you how great you are. I mean, it's it actually works for me as well as you. You'll go far. 
Remember, you can <laughs> you can contact us at any time on Twitter at Second Captains and email at editor at secondcaptains.com. Make sure you download or stream the latest football show, which is out now as well. And why not listen to it in the bath? That's certainly what works for me. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Richie. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, boss. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Murph. And thank you for listening. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.